Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. Got another great show for you today. We're breaking down the Braves system, and to do that, we're joined by the great Carlos Colazzo. Carlos, it's exciting times to be a Braves fan. Three straight division titles. They won their first playoff series since 2001, reached the NLCS, took the eventual champion Dodgers to seven games. There's a lot of young talent in the majors. There's a lot of veteran talent in the majors, including MVP Freddie Freeman. And there's still a lot of talented players in this farm system. A couple of them made their major league debuts this year. They are still technically prospects and still have the vast majority of their careers ahead of them. First and foremost, when you look at the Braves top to bottom, how do you kind of assess where the organization is right now? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on a number of the big points, but I think they're in a great spot. I mean, uh, for good reason, the Dodgers and the Rays get a lot of attention for kind of putting their organizations in a great position, uh, just smart business moves, great development, just constantly having that next wave of players ready to go, whether that's through drafting and developing or, or savvy trades. I think the Braves are one of those next teams that you point to and say, look, you, you guys are in a really good position to win now and to win kind of continuing to move into the future. Obviously, three straight National League East championships speaks for itself. Um, they took another step this year in the playoffs and getting one, one game away from making a World Series. Um, but I just think looking at the young core that they have now that has kind of over the past few years shown that they can produce at a high level and they can compete, um, which gives uh, the GM and the front office a little bit of flexibility to go out and make free agent signings to fill in the gaps year to year. And then you look at their, their farm system. And while I do think the Braves farm system is trending in the wrong direction for the right reasons, they do still have a number of major league contributors ready to come up in the near future. You touched on it. There's a number of guys in this top 10 uh, who had small roles this year. I think um, there, there's one guy, Ian Anderson, had a pretty big role with the Braves this year and kind of established himself as another in a long line of young Braves pitchers. Um, but there are some reinfor- reinforcements ready to help this team continue winning. And I think while this farm system is probably going to be trending down into that middle tier, maybe even the, the bottom third, depending on how things go with graduations and development of the second and third tier guys. I think if you're a Braves fan, you've got to be pretty happy with where the organization stands right now. The fact that the farm system is going to trend downward is a good thing. It means you've gotten your best prospects to the major leagues and made them successful major leaguers and traded some other guys for impact major leaguers, which again is the point of all this. So there's no question the Braves have done a really, really nice job creating this homegrown talent, getting this homegrown talent to the majors, and as discussed, using it in trades for some key pieces, particularly in the bullpen, as we've seen the last two years. Mm-hmm. Carlos, this was a really interesting system at number one because you had Ian Anderson, as you mentioned, came up and was absolutely brilliant. Uh, 1.95 ERA in his first six major league starts, dominant in the postseason. You also had Christian Pache, who 
Did not play a whole lot, but we saw him get some time in the playoffs, showed some really, really impressive at-bats, and obviously the defense is fantastic. What was this process like for you? And ultimately, what was it after your discussions with scouts, front office officials, and people throughout baseball that put Pache number one in this system over Ian Anderson? Yeah, this was a really tough decision for me. It took it took probably the longest time that I've ever decided on a number one prospect. And I guess it was my fourth year now doing a, a prospect handbook chapter in the second year for the Braves. And it was, it was definitely the toughest decision to just figure out that one-two order because I do think you could argue convincingly that Ian Anderson is the number one given what he did this year in the majors and the development um, that he's shown. I think at the end of the day, for me, um, just erring towards the position player, the risk with pitcher injuries is a little bit more. And I think Chris Pache does have that high floor considering his excellent defensive skill in center field. And I also think that, that while Anderson showed he could be a middle of the rotation, maybe a number two starter um, at times, I think Pache's ceiling is still pretty exciting. I mean, he's got a, a chance to be a gold glove type center fielder um, with real offensive value. If he can kind of continue taking these, improvements in his approach um, and just his zone recognition and start to use the entire field offensively he really has game-changing tools so I think that was probably where I drew the line at the end just going towards the hitter who I think is going to be able to provide value uh, defensively at an elite level at minimum with offensive upside still remaining but I don't think it's crazy if someone wanted to say they would prefer Ian Anderson with Pasha as a close second I think there are people inside and outside of the Braves system who, who do think it is a really close call um, and people honestly have them kind of neck and neck but in the end went with the position player yeah with Pache I think that's always been the question what kind of hitter is he going mm-hmm. to be at various times he's shown the ability to hit for power his ability to hit for average he's shown flashes but it's not like he's ever put up insane offensive numbers in the minor mm-hmm. leagues what kind of hitter are we looking at with him yeah, I think that's probably the most interesting thing for 2021 because assuming he's going to get a, a regular role, he was brought up this past year but was playing more in a reserve role until there were some injuries in the playoffs and he was kind of thrust into that starting role, didn't get a ton of at-bats. Um, but, yeah, the big question for me is is kind of how does this hit tool develop? Right now we've got a 45-hit tool on him. He has the speed, I think, to be able to outperform that, maybe Babbitt himself into a higher average than you would expect. Uh, but he does have plus raw power now. If you look at him physically now compared to maybe three years ago, he's added around 20 to 30 pounds and just strength and, and added physicality. So the raw power is there. Most of his, I think all of his in-game home runs actually have come to the pull side. So just his ability to use the opposite field, both in terms of power potential and just in terms of using the opposite field gap and maybe getting some doubles and triples with his speed kind of taking that next step in his development and becoming a complete hitter is going to be the question for me. Is he going to be a guy who always has holes in the outer half of the plate just because he doesn't have that coverage? Or is he going to be a guy who he's still very young. He's going to be one of the youngest players on the team. Um, Is he a guy who can kind of make those steps and just continue advancing his overall offensive game? Because he does have the speed that can be dynamic. That's another area that I think you want to see some growth in. He didn't get a chance to kind of get those reps on the bases. Um, this year without a minor league season. He's never been a great base stealer. I think that's another area uh, where he kind of still has some room for growth and and could be a very dangerous player if he can kind of become more efficient because he certainly has the speed to be dangerous on the base paths along with guys like Ronald Acuna and Ozzie Albies who are already um, pretty menacing on the bases for the Braves. 
yeah, it'll be certainly interesting to see how he continues to develop and if he can become that weapon offensively as well as defensively. Because mm-hmm. as you mentioned, there are very, very few prospects who can play center field like Christian Pache can. Carlos, these are obviously the top two prospects in the system. Both of them will be very high on the BA Top 100 when it comes out for 2021. What would you say the next tier of guys were? Because Drew Waters is also a guy who's been a top 100 prospect. Shea Langoliers was a top Mm -hmm. 10 overall pick. Bryce Wilson came up this year and pitched very, very well against the Dodgers in the NLCS. William Contreras has had some top 100 time. What's the next tier of prospects here? And then ultimately, how did you settle on the order you did? Yeah, I think Christian Pache and Ian Harrison are the solid 1A and 1B. I think they're probably pretty safely in a tier uh, by themselves. I think the next tier is Drew Waters kind of alone. Uh, last year, he was the number two overall prospect in the system. And I think we had Ian Anderson third right behind him last year. But just kind of given Ian's development in the majors this year and what he showed elevated him. And I think, honestly, I, I was asked this in a Braves chat online. You can read that fully at baseballamerica.com. But, but one of the questions was which prospect was maybe hurt the most by a lack of minor league season. And I think that player could be Drew Waters because a lot of the questions with him are just that that elevated strikeout rate that he showed in AAA. Uh, the strikeouts were a big concern. I know this year in 2020 at the alternate site, he was really focused on improving as a right-handed hitter. He has splits that are better against right-handed pitching from the left-handed side in the box. So that was a focus for him as well as just kind of being a more selective hitter, not expanding the zone when he doesn't need to. Um, And the reports from camp are good in that regard, but at the same time, you really need to prove it in game situations against these upper level minor league pitchers and really at the end of the day against major league pitching. So I don't know how you replicate missing those at bats. So I think that's kind of tough for waters, but he is a guy who has a chance to be above average pretty much across the board um, as a hitter. He's got some pop in the bat. He can run. He's a plus runner. He could be a plus defensive center fielder as well. Probably is never going to get the chance to do that with the Braves as long as Pache is around. But I do think Waters is a guy who has um, some pretty impressive upside and just a really well-balanced profile all around. So I think he's pretty safely in his own tier at number three. It's interesting you mentioned the split. Being a switch hitter, one of the things we see sometimes in the minor leagues is teams insisting certain players have to be switch hitters when they're just clearly so much stronger from one side that a lot of times it's counterproductive. Now, there are cases where that player gets consistently better. You know, we've talked about Ozzy Albies a lot as someone who, I mean, just to be frank, when I saw him in AAA and I said this outright and Braves fans freaked out, his left-handed swing was not a good swing. It was flimsy. It was ineffective. It was just a bad swing. And it showed that way in the majors. But he was a young guy. He continued to get better. He continued to get stronger. And over time, he was able to be – he's still a much, much better hitter right-handed, but he's made his left-handed swing workable. Waters is sort of the opposite situation, given that he is much, much, much better hitting left-handed and really does well against right-handed pitchers. He struggles as a right-handed hitter against lefties. What are the odds he actually remains a switch hitter versus at a certain point the Braves just say, you know what, you're on the strong side of a platoon with your left-handed bat, just hit left-handed? Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like it's probably too early to say for sure. I think I had a conversation with Matt Eddy, and we were talking about Ozzy Albies actually just about this, because even in 2020 at, at certain times it just seemed like 
he was such a, a better hitter from the right-handed side. I was like, is it, is it almost better for him to just stick to the right side and just do that consistently? And maybe overall your production is going to be better, better regardless of the platoon splits. Um, and, and Matt seemed to think that with, with athletic players, you kind of trust them to figure it out and let them keep developing. Because if they do wind up being even just solid uh, from their weaker side, it's going to be worth it in the long run. I think uh, for the moment, you do have to kind of trust the athlete to figure it out and let him get those reps. It is beneficial for Drew Waters that he's on the the right side of the platoon split. Most of his ABs are going to be coming against those right-handed pitchers. So I think the fact that he's on the right side maybe gives him even more time to kind of continue working on that right-handed swing and figuring it out because, again, the bulk of his ABs will be coming uh, from his his better side. So I think for now – um, especially as he's kind of just continuing to refine as a hitter overall and kind of get a better understanding of the zone um, and be a little bit more selective from both sides of the plate. I think you let him figure it out. If he gets to the majors and he's kind of establishing himself as a regular there and he's struggled for a few years, maybe then you, you think about just limiting him to one side. But I think for now there's really no reason to, to cut him off. Yeah, I go back and look at Albies last year. Again, this year he only played 28 games, so it's a much smaller sample. Uh, 29 games, excuse me, so you don't want to go too crazy off that. But you look at what Albies was able to accomplish last season where, again, from the right side he was incredible, and from the left side he was solid, he was playable. And I think that's what you want to see happen. So I'll be interested to see Drew Waters' development and if he's able to accomplish the same thing, albeit from an opposite side. Shea Langoliers is one of the better defensive catching prospects in baseball, top 10 overall pick. What put him ahead of Bryce Wilson? Just again, given Wilson has had a couple stints in the majors, Mm -hmm. he really, really impressed in game four against the Dodgers and the NLCS. Ultimately, how close was that? If it was close at all? Yeah, I think it was pretty close. I think Langoliers is kind of at the top for me of this next tier. We talk about tiers when we go through these lists. Um, I think the next tier is probably the fourth or seven players. That's Langoliers, Bryce Wilson, William Contreras, who's another catcher that I think is really not too far away from Langoliers himself. And then Kyle Muller, uh, the left-handed pitcher, who's the top-ranked lefty in this brave system. I think that's probably the next tier for me. What, what stands out about Langoliers is just his overall profile, the defense, as he mentioned, and the fact that the Braves really seem to be impressed by him more than most other players at the alt site and just his progress this summer. Um, there are new player development people with the Braves. So for a lot of these guys, it's their first real look at him. Um, so that maybe will change some things. But people that I talk with are really impressed with his impact ability to the opposite field. Um, he has shown some tendencies to pull the ball um, in small samples recently. But I think he's a guy who does have that kind of opposite field uh, right center gap with some pop in his arsenal. Um, but I just really like the fact that it's hard to not look at Langoliers and see a plus defender pretty much across the board. And I also think he's one of these uh, maybe more rare catchers in the modern game where he has a chance to really shut down the running game. He's got a 70 grade arm. He threw out 41% of base dealers in his pro debut, which is really impressive. And, and today where everyone's focused on framing Um, For good reasons, there are a lot of catchers who are really good at stealing strikes but maybe can't control the running game as well. I think uh, an example of that player would be Ryan Jeffers with the Twins, and I'm also doing the Twins system. But I think Langoliers has a chance to just be an impact defender across the board um, on top of having average hitting and power potential, which really makes you 
a pretty valuable asset if you can live up to those those tool grades and be an average hitter with average power um, with that defensive skill at a premium position. That's a very valuable player. No doubt about it. And the Braves certainly uh, have some older catchers, although Travis Darno was obviously fantastic this year. But you can never have too much catching in your system and having Langoliers as one of your better catchers to go with a guy like William Contreras mm-hmm. certainly puts them in a good position moving forward. You mentioned this four to seven tier was was kind of one tier, Kyle mm-hmm. Muller being the, the number seven prospect overall here. Eight to 10, Braden Shoemake, another first round pick from last year. Jared Schuster, their first round pick this year, the lefty out of Wake Forest. And Tucker Davidson, a 19th round junior college pick who has really, really impressed and outperformed his draft status, made his major mm-hmm. debut this year. How many other guys were in this fight for the bottom of the list, this, this 8 to 10 group, assuming this was one tier kind of all to itself? Yeah, I think this the, the back of this list was easier to kind of solidify than the top, at least to solidify the order of the top, I think. I think the Braves' farm is interesting because this top 10, I think, holds its own pretty well with many of the elite farm systems in the game. I think once you get past this 10 mark is really where the Braves' system starts to drop off a little bit, um, whether that's due to players who are just in the lower levels and you have to project a lot more on them or the fact that there are just a lot of kind of second and third tier college players who maybe don't have the upside that a lot of the guys in front of them do. Uh, So for me, kind of solidifying the 10 was fairly easy, um, kind of in comparison to previous years and just generally ranking a top 10. There are a couple guys who are considered for the top 10. I think Jaseel De La Cruz, uh, Patrick Weigel, Michael Harris would probably be the first few names uh, that I brought up as maybe they could slide in there over Tucker Davidson or Jared Schuster. But at the end of the day, it wasn't too challenging for me to kind of get this top 10. I think these are the guys that you kind of point to as the, the next up for the Braves and all these guys have a chance to impact the major league team in some capacity in the relatively near future. Absolutely. You mentioned that there isn't a ton of depth here. And a big part of that is the international penalties the Braves took as part of the international signing violations that Major League Baseball uncovered and ultimately led to former general manager John Coppolella being banned for life. Where is this brave system in terms of the lower levels? Because between those and just the fact that you're winning more games in the major leagues means you're now picking closer to the bottom of the draft than the top. Mm-hmm. What are we looking at here in terms of the distribution of talent and where exactly are the lower levels right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big question mark of the system. And I think that's why once you see a couple of these graduations with guys like Pache, Anderson, Waters, uh, even Langliers or Contreras, if they're ready to take the next step, it's, I think it's going to fall off pretty quickly because there are a lot of question marks. Now, that's not to say there's no talent. There are plenty of guys at the lower levels that the Braves have taken shots on later in the draft. In 2019, they took a lot of uh, maybe high upside high school players who have plenty of risk. Um, but if they do take the right steps in their development, maybe you could see kind of a wave after this current top 10 following along pretty quickly. But I think a lot needs to go right in the development for that to happen. And a lost year in 2020 makes that even more of an unknown. I think you're, you're absolutely right to hit on the international restrictions. This is, I think, the last year that the Braves will have those restrictions. So kind of seeing how they tackle that market and if they continue to focus on college players in the draft will be interesting for me. The last two years, They've really focused on college players at the top of the draft. And I think that's a pretty smart strategy considering the competitive window the Braves are in now, drafting some guys who could move quickly, a la Shea Langoliers, a la Braden Shoemake, 
uh, guys who have done pretty well in their limited time in pro ball right now who could come up and help the team relatively quickly. But it's definitely a different philosophy for the Braves now in the draft than it was previously under Brian Bridges. And it'll be interesting to see how they're able to draft and develop under pretty much a new um, player development system entirely in the next few years. And uh, I would imagine that the Braves kind of fall into the middle tier uh, or lower of farm teams in the near future, just based on other guys who were not going to be on this list uh, for much longer. It's much, much better to be the top of the standings and the bottom of the farm system rankings and the bottom of the standings and the top of the farm system rankings. Again, for as, for as fun as it is to, to brag or to get excited about ranking in the top five in the Baseball America organizational rankings, it's a lot more fun when you can brag about winning your division or having success in the playoffs. That is the goal, as I know you always say, Kyle. But no, I think it's definitely not anything negative on the Braves that they are trending in the wrong direction. Like we've already talked about, it's, it's heading in the wrong direction for the right reasons. So the, the next question, I guess, is how do you develop that next wave? Because you are going to need to kind of get these prospects back in the system to continue winning at the major league level as, as the Dodgers have kind of shown some crazy ability to do always. <laughs> I will say, I do feel like the Braves have hired from a good pool of front office talent and executives to be able to do that. You mentioned the Dodgers. Alex Anthopoulos was obviously a successful general manager with the Blue Jays, went to the Dodgers. And coming from that, he got a look at, okay, here's how we find players later in the first round, later in drafts that are very, very valuable, both in terms of what they provide in the major leagues or as trade ships. Ben Sestanovich, the new farm director, was formerly the assistant farm director with the Padres. Very, very well regarded, very bright guy, former college player, someone that a lot of people in the game thought very highly of. And we've seen new scouting director Dana Brown come in. As you mentioned, they've gone away from the high school heavy drafts under former scouting director Brian Bridges, more toward the college heavy side of things under Brown. But it does feel like the college picks he's made so far, it hasn't been oh, we're just seeking safety. These are very good players. Langelier, Shoemake, Schuster, all these guys were impact talents at their various mm-hmm. universities and showed some upside. It's not just the safe college side. So it does feel like, at the very least, there is a management infrastructure in place to help them. Yeah, no doubt. And another thing that I think has been interesting so far, at least since Anthopolis has been kind of running the ship, is they really haven't shown a willingness to trade from the kind of elite stock of the prospects in this system. I'll be interested to see if that kind of continues in the future because all of these guys at the top, I really feel like there are paths um, to helping the Braves out. It's not like all of these players are going to be blocked. I mean, there's pretty easy paths to see Pache and Waters both filling in regular roles. Obviously, with how the, the starting pitching unfolded for the Braves in 2020, there are a lot of um, innings to be had for a lot of these pitchers. Uh, and the bullpens in Major League Baseball, the amount of kind of turnover and the consistent arms that you can see there. There are plenty of spots for these players to all help. And and I think that's kind of allowed the Braves to just go out and fill gaps on the free agent market in the last few years. They've had some pretty savvy uh, short-term free agent signings that have paid off. Obviously, Donaldson and Marcelo Zuna would be the two biggest ones. Some of them haven't. Maybe Cole Hamels didn't work out as you want to see. But already this offseason, it looks like they've plugged a hole in the free agent market with Drew Smiley in terms of a veteran pitcher that maybe can reliably give you some innings, but kind of how they use these prospects is maybe last year of kind of elite Braves prospects, at least in this current wave, how they use them, whether they use them just internally or trade them um, will be fascinating for me. 
Absolutely. Well, in the meantime, it's a very, very exciting time to be an Atlanta Braves fan. And I know we'll all be curious to see what they do this offseason to replace Marcelo Zuna's big bat, but they have some exciting players coming up. They have exciting players coming back. Mike Soroka will be due back from injury next year. That will help the rotation. So it's a very good team with a lot of young talent and a lot of veterans that are still in their prime. So it's a good time to be a Braves fan. And Carlos, we appreciate you jumping on with us to break down the present and the future. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's fun. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Carlos Colazzo, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.